Thanks for being the, the choir that you are, lifting the praise and the worship. And it's been great to be with my uh, it's been great to be with my family. Thanks for mentioning my sister Benny uh, and uh, Lauren, and then my niece Joan. Good to have you and her friend Matt. And I feel like I'm getting to know some of you guys as well as we're getting a chance to spend these days together. And thanks for the opportunity. Corey, to come out and talk about Jesus. Uh, that's just what I love to do. And so it's been refreshing for me to be here and to have this assignment for the last few days of just coming and coming out from San Francisco and get on that flight and knowing that I would begin to look into your faces and we'd start a conversation that I hope goes on throughout the rest of your life about being a, a student of Jesus, being a disciple, an, an apprentice. Uh, we said last night that what Jesus wanted all of his followers to know really to be immersed in is the number one topic that he was always teaching or, or showing or demonstrating. And, and it, was a, it was the kingdom of God. And that's a, that's a big mouthful to say because it was a, a picture for Jesus of the reality that he wanted people to move their lives into. Because he had seen where most people were living. That internal picture of what you hold of yourself. Your, your image of your own self. So many times the reality you're living in is the opinions of others concerning you. If your roommate likes you, you like you. If your roommate doesn't quite like you or the grade isn't quite what you were expecting, you're not so sure about you anymore. It's interesting how we, we get so much of who we are from the opinions of others and that becomes our reality. And Jesus came crashing in on that and said, look guys, this isn't just about me forgiving your past sins. It's about you getting a whole new look on who you are now that God's kingdom has, has come around you and is beginning to tell you the truth about yourself. See, you, you are no more or no less than who you are to God. That comes kind of out of the headset of St. Francis. You're no more, no less than who you are to God. See? So how do you get that information from God? Do you have to die to go to heaven to be where God is so He can finally tell you who you are? And Jesus says, Oh, by no means. I'm bringing that truth of God out of the heavens down to the earth and you can now know who you are. Not just by the opinions of others, but what... God knows about you. And you're no more, but you're no less than what God knows you to be. So, whew, thank Jesus that we don't have to die to go to heaven to figure out who we are. We can know it tonight. And he kept unpacking that this, this reality of God was not waiting for us somewhere else, but it was, it was available to us now. And he was inviting all kinds of people to walk into that. And that's what it means to be a student of Jesus is that you're learning something from Him. And we said in our conversation last night that He was really smart about this stuff. He was, he was brilliant with what He knew. His knowledge could be, could be trusted. And you really want to be getting these things from Jesus. Um, I love all so many of the voices in the world and you guys are listening to all kinds of voices through the media through your upbringing and I want to challenge you to get next to and close to Jesus and 
listen to what he's saying about what you can what you can know because you're believing in some kind of truth right now and I'm wanting you to get that truth from Jesus and let me just say this point before I move on just because you believe in something doesn't make it true so what does that mean well let's just take this for an example I want you to believe that I have five dollars more in my checking account I just want you to believe that with me would you would you believe that with me then would a group of you begin to really believe that would you uh, would you talk to some other people about believing that let's get a lot of people matter of fact let's get a campaign going that we're going to believe that Barry has five hundred dollars more in his checking account and if we believe that does it make it true Just because you believe things doesn't mean they're true. Who you trust to tell you the truth is vital. And Jesus comes along as a very intelligent and brilliant teacher and He says, you can trust this knowledge. And see, that's why we begin to have the renewal of our minds from what we were thinking about ourselves and what we were believing that was going on into what Jesus says. And the thing He says is, God is now active and He's working right now, here and now in our world. And as students, He wants us to not only believe that truth, but begin to have eyes and ears to see and to hear, to begin to interact with the God who is constantly around us and at work. See, when someone is baptized, and I take it behind the red cloth, there's the baptismal font. Is that right, Kevin? Okay. So you could be baptized up there. When you're baptized up there, we're not about getting you wet and holding you underwater while we say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and then we bring you up and we give you a plaque and you put, well you don't put that on your wall but you know you'd have your little certificate that's not what baptism is when Jesus said go into the world and baptize people teaching them everything that I've taught you as disciples, he's saying take people and really let them get deep and immersed in the reality that God and the Holy Spirit in Jesus is constantly with them. Let that really begin to penetrate their thinking and their sense of what's going on in the world. And in that way, he was calling us to become students and followers, developing eyes and ears to really hear and to see Jesus teach us what's truly happening right now. And I guess the great myth we've kept pounding against is you don't need to die and go to heaven to find out if this is true because in Christ he was bringing that into our, our daily lives and we now as students are kind of beginning to grow more and more into understanding what in the world does that mean but that's what discipleship is that's what being a student and apprentice of Jesus is and so that's what we've been working with as we've been coming together and it's what repenting means it means rethink your thinking now that you are aware that God is available to you here and now I mean what new option is available to you now if God is at your right hand that's how David would talk in the Psalms the Lord is always at my right hand well now what's new to me that's available because God is not some deity way off in the sky but he's actually a presence to me right here and now and he's capable and he's loving and he's good and he's attentive and wow see how that begins to change the very the very moment that I'm in 
is my mind begins to work like the mind of Jesus and I start to realize that God is He's here now. See, that's the revolution Jesus was throwing for the religious-minded of His day. And it's in that way that He began to say, you need to come follow Me. Well, where are we going if I follow you? Are we going to church? Are we going to Sunday school? Are we going? Where are we going? And He said, we're going into the kingdom. Well, where's the kingdom? And He goes, well, just pick a place. Let's go find out. Because God is in all places, but you have to develop eyes and ears to see Him in those places. Isn't that interesting? So he said, just, let's, let's just go. Let's go up to Capernaum. You can hear the disciples go, oh my gosh, we went up to Capernaum a lot. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing special going on in Capernaum. And Jesus would say, well, now that you're with me, let's go back up there and let's look at that ordinary village. But let's be attentive that now we're being there with God. And of course, when we went up there, things began to happen and occur that they had never seen before in Capernaum. And it wasn't because Capernaum changed. It was because they were beginning to see, by following Jesus... God with new eyes and ears. And boy, that's when they began to quest to be a disciple of His. Jesus was giving them a sense of reality, something that they could believe in, and it had evidence. And then they knew the world could never be the same as it had been. And you guys, this is the faith that we're inheriting. If we choose to water this down domesticate it, cage it up into certain boxes. It's just to our own loss. The, the reality and the revolution that Jesus was throwing was literally to say, let's walk into all places. Let's look at every hour of our day. Let's begin to look at all people. Let's begin to look at all of our vocations and see how it is that God is here and now investing Himself in our lives. And watch how life begins to become abundant and starts to pop. Now, I just want to move, if I can, through some of those categories I just said because I think they're practical ways that we can begin to hear and see what Jesus was talking about when He was saying the kingdom of God has come. It's now available to you. It's like places. You know, you're always at some place. You can't live without being somewhere, okay? So, I think what God's favorite place is, and think about this one with me, but I think God's favorite place is here. Always here. Where His children are. Wherever you go. It's, it's God's favorite place just to be with you. To be here. See, some of you might... Your favorite place would be like having somebody love you, marry you, and take you there. Now that would really be good. So you're waiting here to get there. And here's not okay, because there is a whole lot better. See? And so now you've got your life postponed for Prince Charming to take you to where it's really going to be good. And that's your picture of reality that would really be good, because here, here is assignments and, and, and homework, and you get assassin in front of your kids, and yeah, here's a tough gig. And so what we tend to do is we take our prayer life and we say, Oh God, get me out of here. And Jesus was teaching His disciples to pray, Oh God, get into here with me. See, let's go to Capernaum. Why would you want to go there? Let's go someplace bigger and better. And Jesus would say, No, let's just be there with God. 
I mean, get me out of graduation and get me some money in my bank account and then I can really serve you, then I can talk about service. I mean, let's go there. And Jesus comes along and says, let's rethink that. Let's repent a little bit. Am I sinning? No, you're just not looking at your life as the place where God is meeting you. It's here that God is at work. You can accept your post in life. You can be the middle child. You can be who you are. As you are, because that's where God comes. This is the place where God's activity is asking you to have eyes and ears to see and to know your life. It's here that we're with Him. The woman at the well was probably a great place in Scripture at least where we see Jesus talking with the woman who said, now, you know, Jesus, you're not supposed to be talking to me and asking me for water because, you know, if you've not noticed it yet, I am a female and you're a male. We're not to be talking in our culture. Secondly, I'm a Samaritan, so I have mixed blood in me and your type, who are Jews, hate my type. I mean, we're at each other so much so that we've built separate houses of worship and we Samaritans say that God is in our temple and we kind of put that up on a hill and yet you guys say that you have God in your temple and you have that in Jerusalem and she says, I'm just all confused that you even want to dialogue with me because, I mean, which one do you think God's in? Mine or yours? See, hear that? And Jesus said, oh, I understand your headset. Oh, listen, it's changed a little bit. Here's, here's the new good news. It doesn't matter what mountain you're worshiping on. <laughs> she must have gone, oh man. Say that again. Yeah, it really doesn't matter what mountain you're on. You're talking about a Samaritan temple. That's got to be wrong. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Forget, forget the mountains. Which one's right? Anybody, anywhere can worship God if they're offering their spirits and meeting Him in truth. I just absolutely took the religious map and just ripped it up. Are you kidding me? You mean like Baptist people? I thought Nazarenes were you know, Catholics. I mean, oh, oh, hang out, Jesus. What are you doing? And he's saying, guys, it's not a matter of profiling some type of religious turf and then making it safe by living there. God's loving us all. And any person who is seeking Him with an open spirit and a quest for truth, He will find that person wherever they are. Whew, no wonder there's a long line out the door to get to this guy. you got to love the Ethiopian eunuch. I mean, even that phrase in a Jewish Bible, Ethiopian means he was black, southern hemisphere he was a eunuch I don't want to go into the details on that one but you can kind of picture right he's high ranking so he's got a lot of finances in fact he's in charge of the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia so he's running all the books he's writing all the checks for Ethiopia because Candace selected him and that's probably why he's a eunuch so that he can be safe in the presence of the queen. He has that kind of power. He has that kind of finance. He comes from that region. 
and he's heard enough about this one God that he, on, a, on a leave of absence, he takes his chariot, which tells you he's got some bucks. He takes the taxi all the way up from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. He's got a driver. But you know what happens when an Ethiopian eunuch gets to the temple in Jerusalem? They're not really looking for that kind there. You kind of need to be white and Jewish to be able to move at least into the courtyards that really matter of the temple. So what happens is he goes all the way up there to find out about God and he gets turned down. He gets told, I'm not really looking for your kind here. And so then, he's got enough money to have a scroll. He's got a scroll of Isaiah. So if he can't get in the temple, he starts to read it. And he starts heading back down. And that's when the Spirit of God said to Philip, hey, I want you to go and intersect this guy out in the desert because he's important to me. And so Philip goes out and stands in the desert. I mean, what kind of a place is that for God to be? And here comes the chariot, and here is this Ethiopian eunuch reading from this, and he can't understand what he's reading, but it's important to him to want to know. The chariot stops because it sees Philip. Philip says, what are you reading? He goes, I can't quite figure it out. Philip begins to open it up and says, oh, this is all about Jesus. And he starts helping this guy understand who it is that he's reading about. Well, it moves in this Ethiopian's heart to want this kind of Jesus. And so he says, I want, I want in. And as Philip's describing about baptism and Jesus, then the, the eunuch ends up saying, look, I, 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 I believe this stuff. Can I be baptized? And so then Philip has this whole issue of, of baptizing an Ethiopian eunuch, which is kind of cool in the moment. Then you have to go back to Jerusalem and explain that to the council. See, we begin to realize that it's in that kind of way that Jesus is beginning to bring a kingdom into all kinds of places for all kinds of people. And then you and I begin to get in that mindset. We begin to get those ears. We begin to listen. We begin to hear and begin to see our own lives. I think besides place, there's time. There's time. Jesus said when His kingdom was here on the earth, He said, think of it like this from now on. Time is fulfilled. Time is no longer waiting for something meaningful. Meaning has, has come and every moment can explode with it. The time is, is no longer waiting for something, but God is filling it every moment, every hour. Every time you want to turn to God's presence, He's there right in time. Every time you want to turn your mind to the presence of God and say, are you, are you with me now? It's like, yes, this moment too. When Jesus spoke of time, He talked about eternal life. And eternal life was not so much about the afterlife, like what happens when you die, but eternal life was a, a quality of life here and now. It, it's so important to get this into our thinking. The eternal life that Jesus talked about is doesn't kick in when I die and I go, oh, the after jets just kicked in and I guess I keep on living. I, I didn't know that. It isn't about the afterlife. Eternal life is about knowledge for you to have the kind of life now that will never die. So you've got to deal with this, guys, as students of Jesus. And I know I'm asking you to think up here, and I know you can, 
But this is important stuff because this is what Jesus was talking to his disciples a lot about. He would say often, time is fulfilled. Uh, I mean, he would get them to, to really move into this way and to, and to think about how they were viewing their days. It's just like, it's like, look at your calendar. It seems like God asked in the beginning, let's at least get one day and call it the Sabbath and give me that day. Because before there was hardly anything, so then it kind of moved to one day. And then Jesus came along and said, someone greater than the Sabbath is with you. And now it's every day. So when church is over on Sunday and Monday hits you, you don't have to go, oh, dang it, it's Monday. <laughs> Monday morning. It's as full on Monday of God as it is on Sunday. See, we're, we're living in a different kind of reality because we're following the one who really knows about time. We're not waiting to die to see if there's an afterlife. We're experiencing the kind of, of life now that says, according to Jesus, we'll get that kind of life and then we'll never die. See, you need to start thinking about what you're going to do 500 years from now. You want to meet for coffee? There's never going to be a time you're going to cease to exist. Boo! Just, to, just trying to take the, the lid off your head and just... Boo! See? Isn't that wild? You're going to turn 2,000, 3,000 years old and we're just going to be getting started. See, the question isn't what's going to happen when you die. Your real question is what am I to think now that I will never die? God has no plans to take you out of existence. Hmm. So who do you want to be? Let's go ahead and get started now because we've got to put up with you for a long time. See, we're not trying to get to our death so our faith kicks us into the afterlife. We're letting that kind of faith in God reality come down right now and touch our lives to where we are free because we know we're no longer bound by time. We're not, we're not trying to cram it into 80 years. We're not living with that kind of anxiety. See, Mother Teresa was one of the first people to respond to AIDS when it was just a virus and we didn't know how it was transmitted. If you sneezed on lettuce and then you ate the lettuce, the person who sneezed was HIV positive. Would I get it because the saliva was on the lettuce that I ate? I mean, how's this stuff transmitted? And the little sisters of charity who were trying to love those who were dying with AIDS before we knew how it was transmitted, raised their hand with Mother Teresa and they said, you know, Mother Teresa, what happens if the people we're caring for somehow give us this virus and we die? And Mother Teresa calmly said, well, then you'll go to be with Jesus. Next question. See, you got to get over your own death to love somebody else. And when you're finally free about you and taking care of you and making you survive, then you're really able to get over yourself and start loving people on another plane. And that's what we see in Jesus because he knew time was now and it was fulfilled with God and he would be taken care of forever as he walked in that reality. Guys, he thought like this. 
He wasn't magical. And he wasn't empty-headed. And it wasn't like he just couldn't help himself. He really thought about life and a reality that God was with him and then he lived it out with us and we were so taken by it, we raised our hands and said, can I learn that from you as well? And he said, oh, absolutely, I'm taking students into this way of life. Let's go with just a, one or two more, okay? Because practically speaking, how do I develop the ears and the eyes to work and to see God at work like Jesus did? So you're thinking of a place and there's no place that God's not at work. You're thinking of time and there's no moment when God is not with you. The other one that comes up for me is, is jobs, work. This is one I think we've really stumbled with inside of our own religious circles. We tend to have, to, to have established a, almost jobs and careers that God prefers. And then if you don't get one of those, well, you get a leftover. And we tend to think that pastors and missionaries are the people that God really calls. I think he does. But I don't think in Scripture those are the only kinds of people that God calls. I think he calls architects and scientists and bus drivers. I think that, well, if you look at the word call in the New Testament, it's mentioned 40 times. It's the word kaleo. And only two times is it referred to an ecclesiastical function. So that means that God is laying out onto you guys' heart all different kinds of passions and calls to distribute his kind of living into the world. And he's very concerned about business. And he's not just trying to get all the business people to come to church to hear the pastor. He's trying to put the call for some of you to go into business and to literally live with God in that field and help transform it so that it can be a real instrument of distributing justice economically in our world. He's as concerned for art as he is for business. He's as concerned for medical health. I mean, do we see that the call of God lays itself out in the different passions that are in this room and that you guys shouldn't hear the message, oh, too bad you didn't get called to full-time, 24-hour Christian service in a church setting. We need to be saying to you, we're here to equip you to take that call of God into the places of this world that God has loved and to be his hands and his feet out into these various sections and sectors of our society so that God can be known there. But how exciting it is for you guys to say your generation can break the ice on this one. And I'm challenging you to break the ice on that. I think that is an important part of just seeing how he's active with this. He was a carpenter. Was he wasting his life? Up till he was 30, he was in the trades. I think he was living everything in the trades that he would eventually teach as a rabbi. But he was in the trades for 30 years. See, and he was able to say by being that that he was as beloved as God while he was making tables and chairs as he was when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount. Can I say it to you again? He was beloved of God as much when he was making tables and chairs, working over the counter, sharpening people's tools. He was as loved by God there 
as he was when he was presenting the Sermon on the Mount or feeding the 5,000. Isn't that interesting? That being a carpenter, he was able to be God's beloved, which means that he could take any vocation, maybe the one you're going to move into, and do it as well and know that he was God's beloved. And then finally, I think people. I think we need to see people. Eyes and ears to see. They're all made in the image of God. I I loved it when I walked into chapel the first time because if I saw anything change from three years ago when I was here, the diversity and the color in the room is wonderful. I'm not saying that so you can be politically correct here and say to people, you know, I attend a very diverse college in Boston (laughs) I'm just saying that sitting inside this campus are the bloodlines that can't get along in the world and you guys have a laboratory going on right now of how you can be reconciled across cultural and ethnic divides because you're followers of the God who loves us all I'm not talking about being in the calf and scooting over and making room for some people that come from a different ethnicity. I'm talking about sitting among them. I'm talking about you and you getting together over coffee. I'm talking about you and you getting together and watching the World Series. I'm talking about you and you coming for spring break at home to where we're not just tolerating each other but we're learning to see how it is that God is constructing this community of reconciliation right right here and among you I mean how beautiful is that so in review the kingdom of God has come it's in every place are you thinking that way are you developing the eyes and the ears to see God Starbucks on the airplane, in a nursery, in a classroom. It's in every moment. Time is fulfilled. Eternal life is happening right now. And as we get a hold of that, we begin to know we're living forever. And we're free to live our lives. It's in every vocation. Offer again the vocation you're pursuing to God that He would send you to that place as His hands and His feet. See it like that. And finally, it's among all of the people. They all have something of the inner light of God or they wouldn't be able to live and wake up. Now, it needs to be connected to the flame of Christ, but every person, and as we reconcile that in the community, We're really giving witness. I don't think God's waiting for all the bad people to get good. I think He's waiting for all of us that know Him to truly become His students. And if we would, it would revolutionize our lives in a place like Quincy and Wallace. Terry, my wife, wanted a lemon tree a few years ago. So we went to the nursery. And like, you know, any couple... We scrutinized all of them, and we got the best-looking little lemon tree we could. Myers lemon, fragrant, 
it was, uh, had a great smell and the lemons looked pretty good. And we said, we'd like that one. Like for $25, you can take it home. It's there. We can put it in the back without breaking much of it, of our car. Get the little, you know, kind of take the little lemon tree home and we're excited about it. I try to find the best place. So I take it, it's in this box, put it out there in the very best place. We think this must be it. We feed it, we water it. You know, I study a lot of St. Francis because I live in San Francisco, so I kind of bless it. And I asked God to keep all the gophers away. You know, it was great for a while, and we took great pride in it. But in a course of time, in a matter of months, the lemons started falling off, and the leaves started drooping. We thought, what's up, you know? So I went out there and gave another little St. Francis blessing. Yeah. It really didn't help much, just kind of like giving it its last rites. Because this thing was on its, this thing was taking a bad turn down. My wife loved it, and I liked it, and the thing now was kind of embarrassing. It's like, what do we do, just kill plants around here? So, you know, out of just desperation, I thought, well, the last thing we can do with this crazy thing is, like, either throw it out, or I can just kind of dig a hole, and we just put it in the ground and see what goes on. And so, well, we feel bad about throwing it out. And I've blessed it twice. I just is like suicide for it like that. I just thought, that's terrible. So I, okay, I'll just put it in the ground. So I dug a hole, stuck the thing in the ground. Over there on the east side where the sun comes up, you know, I put the hose on it and gave it some water and, you know, just kind of moved away with it and said, whatever, you know. And don't you know, in a matter of weeks, that thing began to pick up some life? Within a matter of a few months, it started to actually look like a lemon tree again. And then when the season came, whoop, little bitty guys started growing out of it. We're like, whoa! We're telling people. That's the best throw we have at the garden. Have you seen our lemon tree? You know? It was going to die, and we, we just stuck it in the ground, and then, you know, it started, it started taking off, and then we, it started hitting us. Well, what, what did we really do? And all we did was take it out of the box we found it in and put it in the ground for which it really belonged. And it started going crazy with fruit and fragrance. And I went, that's it. You know? Maybe you found God in a little camp and you prayed and you said, Jesus, I'm not doing that well by myself. Will you come live with me? Maybe he entered that box, went home with you. Maybe you found him in church. You know, he went into that box. He, he came home with you. Uh, I, I don't know where he entered your box, but he humbled himself and just came into that little bitty place that you were. And then after a little while, you know what happens. Is it's just not big enough for all that he has to teach you. You have to... You have to outgrow where you let God find you. We can't keep having testimonies of when it was that He found us in our boxes. Our, our testimonies are supposed to be how we outgrew that box. And we begin to find our, our native soil, the place we belonged. And that's like the kingdom that Jesus said we now can live our lives in. And as we allow God to do that discomforting work of erupting where we found Him where it was so comfortable. And when He begins to put us into a different setting, it's not to destroy us, it's to begin to let us grow the deeper roots and the richer fruits of what it means to be a student of His. So I'm just challenging you at the end of this evening. Are you a student of Jesus? Are you learning from Him? how to see your time, the places you're going, the people you're meeting, the activity in your work in the world. Is that beginning to possess 
your mind until you begin to think, yeah, I'm starting to... Yeah, it's life now. It's with Him. I am His student. If you've not come to that clarity in your own mind, I want to remind you again, you don't have to go somewhere else to do that. You don't have to wait for next Sunday to make that happen. It's this moment. It's right now. It's with you as He's waiting to hear your response. Yeah, Jesus. Take me into that kind of life. Let me pray for us. Loving God, we thank You that You found us someplace, some box, somewhere. And You got started with us. And I'm mindful even as I'm praying that some of you might not have had that moment. So this is a time when you're hearing that God can enter your life. Why don't you just say yes to that unless you're just really doing something stellar on your own? Let God enter your life. It's a relationship. It's simply saying, yeah, God, please. Hear me. I want you in my life. And then many of you, you know where it was that he came in. But you know there's more. More of the life. And really it's an issue of outgrowing that box. I'm inviting you in prayer, talking, for you to be able to know Jesus is listening to your response to being his student. Let him know in your own words, from your own spirit, that you want to see and and hear like he did. How God is with and around you, places and times. Let him know you're signing up for that kind of learning from him, that you're his disciple by his invitation to you to come follow. And then I would just say in closing, if that's the case, thank Him. Thank Him. You're going to be learning for years and years. We're going to be moving into eternity, learning from Him. And the gratitude and the appreciation can be announced even now. Just thank you, Jesus, that you want to take us forever into this life. And we're yours. We ask you to grow more of you in us here and now always for who you are and for your glory we ask this Amen last night uh, a student told me they felt like during the service there was just a sweet presence it was this peaceful presence to just sit and listen to what uh, the Lord had Barry share with us uh, last night and now tonight I just sense that again just a real peaceful uh, presence and often we conclude a service with a song or a time at the altar, and those are beautiful and special and sacred things. Um, but what a powerful illustrations that God is in every place and in time. And I love the lemon tree illustration. And next time, please bring some lemons uh, with you that will even help the illustration if you bring some food with you. Um, but I just think if we could take the next few moments in closing, SGA's theme this, week is, this year is 
Stand out and share your story. Stand up and be united. I just think maybe this is the best way to close. If I'm wrong, we'll just dismiss. But does anyone want to share something that the Lord's spoken to them, whether tonight or yesterday, or share something where they're seeing God has become much larger than the box that they had God in?